Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 78 of the Health Unchained podcast. There have been so many important updates since my last episode. COVID-19 vaccines are being widely distributed. Joe Biden is the U.S. president. The crypto and Wall Street markets are causing some chaos in traditional finance, mainly driven up by retail investor communities such as the subreddit Wall Street Bets. The decentralized revolution continues pushing forward as Bitcoin straddles $40,000 USD. 2021 is looking to be another very exciting year for the entire decentralized ledger technology space. However, there are still concerns about the new, more easily transmissible COVID-19 virus variants that have emerged in the UK, Brazil, and South Africa. We're certainly not in the clear yet, so if you can get a vaccine, I suggest you do so. And continue to protect yourself and others by following safe social distancing. Additionally, I started a collaboration with the team at SingularityNet, where I host a YouTube series on decentralized health. The format is a little different than my typical Health Unchained podcast, and our second episode with guest Dr. Maurice Ramirez should be out soon, where we talk about AI, disaster relief management, and many other topics related to decentralized health. I encourage you all to follow the Decentralized Health series and check out the latest episode on YouTube. In this episode of Health Unchained, we discuss a not-so-familiar topic, human hair supply, transparency, and tracking in South Africa. My guest is Shadrach Kubiani, co-founder of Coronet Blockchain. Shadrach is a former management consultant at Deloitte, and he founded the company Coronet Blockchain with his wife, Pretty, to track the supply chain of human hair extensions to salons and individuals. You may be wondering, what does this have to do with healthcare? Well, for many people, and especially women, having a head of hair can significantly boost their self-esteem, confidence, and mental health. According to Shadrach, some people in Africa save over three months of their salary wages to buy human hair extensions. They say it gives them a superpower feeling. I really enjoy my conversation with Shadrach and hearing his passion to improve the economic conditions in Africa. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think in the Health Unchained Telegram community or on Twitter. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is Shadrach Kubiani, co-founder and CEO of CoronaNet Blockchain, a startup in Africa working to provide end-to-end traceability and authentication of human hair extension products. We'll be talking about why this is an important and growing market and how it actually relates to healthcare, especially mental health. Thank you so much, Ray, and uh, greetings to the audiences, uh, I mean listeners. Thank you kindly. Fantastic. And I think it would be great to get started by just telling the audience a little bit more about yourself and your past and who you are? Oh, certainly, certainly. I am a, I am a native of the Northwest region, born and bred in South Africa on the rural countryside, 
took on the big city at 15, leveraged some educational opportunities, went straight into corporate. And my last corporate job, of course, was Deloitte, when I now went into management consulting with a specialty on African markets, growth and expansion in those spaces. And of course, that now led to blockchain as a priority vertical focus across the next decade or so. That's fantastic. Yes, I know you're very active in the African startup ecosystem as well. Um, I'd kind of like to know a little bit more about when you actually first learned about blockchain, and then we'll get into the origins of your company, CoronaNet Blockchain. It was a bit of an accidental uh, landing into the space whereby we were just doing what we do in management consulting, scaling an entity that was on our dashboard out of the chaotic informal sector landscape, scaling it towards the formal economy. That took us just 36 months to actually see it clock at 2 million US dollars, hire 40 workers, and just end up in four bricks and mortar. That got the neighborhood talking across the, the mainstream and the informal economy. So with, the, with those discussions, that's how uh, things began pointing in that direction that a scalable Africa-facing blockchain uh, solution is needed initially for the hair sector, but then there's other verticals and pipelines. That's how the, the journey departure came about. Interesting. Can you tell me about uh, maybe when you first heard about cryptocurrencies and blockchain in the first place? Very interesting uh, that you asked that, uh, Ray. You know, I, uh, with the blockchain and cryptocurrencies being almost a decade old, I've always looked from the outside in for a while, and I've, I've really never made up my mind about that space. So in a dinner conversation, that's why ecosystems are so important. In a dinner conversation, when you're just catching up with a friend who was on the IBM site, on the, on the Exco, and then we were just chatting there. And um, in that dinner conversation with the, actually, he's actually one of the best of breed architectures, uh, cloud architects. So while we are chatting, it goes like, the scalable solution you are looking might have to do with blockchain. Do you want to investigate that? Needless to say, after that dinner, I, uh, we, we had lots and lots of reading and all roads were leading to blockchain as a tangible, scalable, and of course, resilient solution, not just for the one entity, but for the sector itself. And of course, uh, uh, having that low hanging fruits of being adapted into other verticals. So that was, if I was to look at the, the, the timeline, that was around 2018. And of course, with, with lots of loads of recalibration and realignment, by 2019, August, we hit the ground running, uh, now uh, beginning uh, to the takeoff with blockchain. We just gave ourselves a year to really acclimatize to the sector. We are still acclimatizing, but we have the privilege of, of being on the front row seat of leading the blockchain transformation on the continent. You can say we adapted a bit, a, a bit quickly. Sure, and, and you mentioned your friend at IBM, so it's interesting because the CoronaNet blockchain, uh, what you said was that it uses the IBM Hyperledger. Absolutely. So let's talk more about it. Let's talk about what the problem is that you're trying to solve. I think that's an important, great place to start, and then we can get a little bit deeper into the human hair market. Certainly. Um, so there are three pillars or three parts to the problem that we are solving. The first one is the 
product quality or its absence or its, its, its discrepancies. The second part is the lethargic, outdated sourcing mechanisms that have got way too many middlemen. I'm going to expand on that a bit. The last but not least is the, the lack of business infrastructure, business systems that see north of 80% of Africa-based salons battling sustainability to stay open and, of course, battling access and financial inclusivity. On the quality side, um, if you were to look at how, how vast the global supply chain of hair is, it's got more than 100 human hands that are actually interacting with the human hair product. Way too many hands, way too many dash, uh, uh, data sets and data touch points that requires some layer, some layer of a tech stack in order to ground all the moving parts to ensure that what it says on the box and what left India via the manufacturing hub of China and Europe are actually what has remained intact in the box through the whole processing mechanism. And of course, beyond quality authentication or quality monitoring, in the middle pillar, we've got sourcing. On average, those African salons out of the 500,000 that do, uh, do a bit of jet setting before the COVID-19 uh, uh, lockdowns, they spend north of 40,000 US dollars a, a, a year just on flights and accommodation and visas without even uh, spending anything on inventory. So that was a bit lethargic, that was a bit infl inflationary, not only on the cost of travel, but they still had to deal with up to four middlemen between themselves and the hair factory. So they, they still couldn't take away the, the middlemen effect that was un, unwelcome. On the business system, during COVID regulation rollout and some of the intended COVID relief funds, that's where the salon sector uh, it discovered what we knew already. They were like sitting ducks. They had no paperwork, no paper trail, or, or, or any traceability and records that can now be taken to the bank uh, as a form of unlocking either a relief or a funding mechanism. So they were financially excluded by virtue of being on a back foot from a business acumen or systems and administration. So what we are solving is across all those three uh, pillars. Understood. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, how hair extensions help people in terms of healthcare and, and especially mental health. I think that's very interesting because some people might look at this and say, oh, whatever, this is just a product for fashion or for aesthetics, but it's not a big deal. What would you say to that? Or what would your users? You know, hair, of course, our users or our end user consumers, because remember, coronet blockchain is a business to business to consumer. So to respond to your question regarding this e-commerce blockchain-enabled platform, I'm going to focus on the B2C, who are actually the final end users. This is what the end users will say. They will almost equate, equate hair or hair extensions to a type of a superpower, if I can put it that way, because let me give scenarios. If uh, I mean we've got scenarios where we where we deployed uh, a due diligence and where we where we, we did some close monitoring and evaluation of those four uh, uh, bricks and mortar branches and we also looked at the regional 
corridor floors of hair. So what we picked up is that some women on the lower tiers of the job market, maybe those are your your weight staff, those are your uh, uh, domestic uh, staff, those are your, your cashiers at the till point, they save money to buy hair or to acquire this superpower uh, or to acquire the crown. They save up to three to six months of their salary. So that already shows you that this is a very uh, a critical piece in their, in their mental health outlook. And maybe some people, they pointed more on the glam squad or on the glitz and glamour side, but irregardless of which school of thought, uh, end users are demanding these products uh, at, at a massive scale. 100 million human hair pieces for the African market alone, which is a secondary destination, uh, consuming 30% while the U.S. consumes 40% as a top uh, top destination. So what will cause a waiter or a cashier at the till point, or I mean at the till register, or what will cause a, a, a domestic worker to basically save such a chunk of their salary across these six months is because there is some level of, I don't want to say hair creates an esteem, but hair becomes some accelerant or some catalyst or some augmentation to their esteem and aspiration. So that's really, I mean, it's up there with smartphones. Uh, even, even the lower tier workers don't wanna be spotted with a cheap phone or, or, or one of the entry-level models. So between a high-end phone and a high-end looking handbag, because they can compromise there a bit, and with a high-end looking fashion look, hair becomes that final piece of the puzzle or the crown that when it rests on the head, even the posture and the walk changes a bit. And it's like someone has literally waved a magic wand and they've gained some superpowers. It's fascinating, it's fascinating to watch. And one last but not least, if you had to look at the cashiers uh, in South Africa particularly, but other markets, they resonate you look at up to 20 cashiers, you find that 10 of them at that till register, minimum 10 are actually wearing the superpower. So that's just social demand uh, uh, supply. I haven't even touched on the C-suite uh, executives. I haven't touched on the waiting market. I haven't touched on the university graduation or metric ball. Those are all market segments that are just uh, going forward for a push of, you know what? Coronation day, as they call it, requires a, coronated, a coronation experience in the form of a crown. So there's the eventing, then there's the everyday, just feeling fabulous. One last but not least, one of the first things to go in oncology treatment, a, a lot closer to the health side, one of the first things to go in oncology and maybe chemotherapy is the hair. And when the hair goes, you know, it kind of like upsets the epicenter or the center of gravity in terms of a woman feeling a bit vulnerable. So hair is not a cure, of course, but hair has been known to collaboratively help to preserve the, the self-image so that uh, 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 cancer patients, particularly those are females, whether girls or children, they are insulated from the threat of victimhood coming from outside, not necessarily bullying, but people kind of like um, offering excessive sympathy or maybe seeing them as a victim. So hair becomes that barrier and that buffer. You know, that's a great point that you make that. And sometimes if, you know, people see, they might judge someone with no hair and they might try to look at them as maybe a victim of 
potentially cancer or other issues. And um, I think that's great that what you're doing is trying to create that additional uh, self-esteem for these people. And what's important that you're doing with your company is ensuring yes. that the products are of high quality. And what I saw on, I think, a recent study was that maybe 30% of human hair extensions that are bought are actually not human hair at all. Is that true? Yes, that, that is correct. On the African continent, that number is hovering between 30 to north of 38%. And that's why quality and provenance and temper-proofing the supply chain with an additional blockchain layer has become so critical. And one last but not least, sec uh, minor, sec um, I mean, not minor, segment that I left, there are, on the African continent, there are dynamics called lobola negotiation, also known in the English language as dowry, whereby there'll be negotiations pre-marriage uh, or, or rather negotiations of exchanging of gifts in order to, I wouldn't say purchase the woman, even though that's a misconception, but in order to negotiate, uh, procuring a nod for the woman to now say yes to agreeing to marry the incoming groom. Those negotiations used to be hinged a lot on the number of kettles involved and later on the, the, the valuation of the, of the worth of that transaction used to be based on is she educated, is she not educated, uh, did, did she fall pregnant uh, or, 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 or she, she, she didn't fall pregnant. But now we are seeing a layer, an additional uh, almost uh, vanity layer of is she wearing virgin hair, I mean human hair or not, because even with the duke, with the head covering, headgear, there will be those human extensions that are protruding or that are strategically showing beneath the headgear. And those are some of the uh, uh, change in landscape of uh, education adding status and also uh, uh, sacredness or sanctity adding status and network or value. But last but not least, the crown being a hint that she's actually almost part of the higher society or negotiations. It is fascinating to watch those social uh, scenarios unfold. Yeah, that is very interesting. That's a lot of things I don't know about, actually. So thanks for sharing that. I have a question for you. If there are false hair extensions out there, what are they actually made out yes. of? What is the material of the fake ones? Uh, brilliant. So, uh, thank you so much. There are various levels of falsehood or, 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 or claim anomalies. What are they? You know, let, let, let's start at the labeling and packaging. The packaging you get, maybe you are in Johannesburg, maybe you are in Nairobi, Kenya, maybe you are in Accra, Ghana, maybe you are in Lagos, Nigeria, or you are in, uh, or you are in Morocco. You get a label that says, listen, uh, Shadrach, you've bought this for your wife and co-founder of Coronet. It says on the label, this is 100% human hair. That can be super misleading because in there could be maybe X percent of human hair and then X percent of animal hair or a polyester-based uh, synthetic plastic uh, varieties or, or plastic synthetics. 
oh, lo and behold, there's a different label that says, Shadrach, you've just acquired for yourself a, a Peruvian and a lot more higher grade they maybe it can say grade 12. There's different grades with the lowest being grade eight. Nobody really wants grade eight. That's, that's like the lowest tier with the highest grade now that has been known is being grade 14. If you go beyond grade 14, you are you are really uh, 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 chatting into an uncharted territory. So if it says grade 12, meaning it's a superior grade, it might not be superior grade because the, you, I just have to take the storekeeper's word for it or the salon owner's word for it, uh, regardless of where I'm sourcing it now, pre-deployment, pre-full deployment of coronal blockchain. It might be an inferior grade being passed for a higher grade and therefore the counterfeiting or the, the claim anomaly is costing me a, a, a bit more dollars than I ought to be paying. It might also be counterfeit by virtue of uh, a sourcing location. It might say on the box, this is Russian hair. And just putting it out there, Russian hair is one of the most sought after, right up there, uh, followed by Peruvian hair and, and other varieties. However, Indian hair or hair of Indian origin remains one of the most resilient, with India being responsible for 80% global output of hair raw materials. So is it from the source, source location that it says it is? Is it of the grading that it says it is? Is it is it 100% unadulterated as it says it is? Is it human? Is it plastic? The other one, you may hear that people will speak about this is double drawn, this is single drawn. It gets a bit technical in, in the hair industry. All that, what, what that means is whether this was harvested or donated by a single donor, that's where people will speak about this is virgin hair. Uh, or was it multiple donors where it was gathered from a temple floor? So the, the mechanics of the hair trade get very exciting. There's way too many moving parts, which is why uh, you, for you to save yourself school fees, or tuition fees in learning the, the, the trade, the quality, and maybe uh, avoid being part of the 9 million consumers on the African continent that end up with uh, counterfeit hair out of the 24 million. You may want to go the safe route and allow technology through coronal blockchain to do the heavy lifting. So yes, those are the moving parts and those are the vulnerabilities and blind spots that allow counterfeiting in some way or the other. So interesting. Thank you for sharing all that too. So let's get into the actual uh, platform or product itself. So there are multiple participants in the platform. You have the potentially original donors or the salons and the end users. Can you talk to us about how your technology works? Absolutely. So in terms of the setup, we have the back end and we have the front end. On the back end, we've got, of course, the, uh, for, 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 for provenance, track and trace, and of course, for that smart contracting uh, uh, framework, we've got the blockchain uh, as a key component. And of course, we also have the platform as a service, or also known as the e-commerce marketplace framework. And of course, we have the, 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 the enablement of, 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 what do you call it, of aligning the network of participants from the, the, the upstream to the downstream of the value chain. Now on the front end, of course, particularly on the business to consumer, there is that app interface that just makes it 
all too easy for consumers to be able to interact with certain packages, I mean, with certain components on the package itself through their smartphone that give them instant feedback in seconds that enable them to realize uh, one, the traceability, the provenance, the origin. Uh, proof of origin is very critical. Uh, you know, IBM did a similar, uh, a similar deployment with their food trust, whereby a Walmart executive walked into the room of his of his top tier operations uh, supply chain uh, black belts and he actually placed just a package of mangoes on the table and asked them where does this mango come from and that triggered a whole a, a whole mechanic response to try and get to the bottom of which farm which grower which packaging and all the players on the supply chain uh, uh, across the value chain and it took them more than two weeks to actually get to the bottom of it but when the blockchain layer uh, was actually added to the supply chain as uh, smart procurement stack or, or, or smart sourcing that two week was actually reduced to just just about 2.3 seconds just like that so th those are the capabilities that we are looking at uh, at evolving into the health sector but not leaving it there of course we are looking at evolving those same capabilities into the food sector food security for africa is a major thing your your wine sector whiskey your fashion and other verticals and of course in the interim while you're finalizing the build the, the end user consumer can gladly come on our on our website and just upload their details or the salon while we are ticking the final boxes so that's the front end and back end of, of the of the framework for sure and i will be sure to include the url in the show notes as well for audience members listening to this and there's you said there's an app as well is that on ios and android that is that is still uh what do you call it uh, the, the final boxes that we're ticking in terms of prioritization about a month or two from now we will be able to nail as to which is the priority rollout but we are, we are actually just deploying a, a statistical analysis in terms of the demand trends so that verdict uh, is still out we are finalizing that sure so you're still working on the apps but um you'll uh, eventually have them on the marketplace so i'm curious since you've worked with the ibm blockchain ecosystem Absolutely. what was your impression working with ibm you know, from an innovation perspective or from an innovation ecosystem, it, uh, it landed itself into, I would say, an ideal benchmarkable model in terms of a startup shaking hands with a, with a legacy firm or a corporate. If you look at IBM, excuse me, if you look at the, 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 the macro vision objectives, was simply to build a digital infrastructure that can be scalable and that can be sustainable to address the pain points and the chaotic elements of the African human hair landscape that could be deployable in other sectors or other verticals. That's the, that's the bigger uh, vision framework. If you look at the innovation ecosystem and our experience with the IBM, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, fraternity, if you can call them that, uh, they possessed legacy muscle memory and black belt expertise, uh, having made headway into the blockchain landscape. So we had to tap into their global and local framework capabilities. And of course, they, 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 we now brought in 
hands-on industry experience that we're able to leverage to inform the build, to inform the priorities, to inform and almost guide the, the, the almost guide the cutting torch as we kind of like uh, uh, dissect the mountain to allow the industry to transform and get to the other side. So there has been that complementary uh, element of uh, ag agility of the startup, uh, first-hand terrain knowledge with IBM's legacy tech framework and of recent, the priority on building a very front foot muscle memory. So putting those two together and aiming them like a laser focus at the pain points of the industry, it landed itself into a quite, um, a, 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 what do you call it, a mechanized and quite a homogenized uh, type of uh, innovation ecosystem outcome and, and joint working. And, and for the record and for the benefit of, your, of, of the audiences and listeners, getting that uh, alignment right across the startup and the legacy or corporate uh, framework is sometimes easier said than done. So I'm glad that uh, having been in corporate, um, my, my co-founder, Preeti and myself, were able to deploy our, our muscle memory to an extent in understanding corporate whilst we understand the fragmented market. So or, uh, taking an aim together, legacy and startup, at this moving target of a fragmented industry has been exciting. It's been anything but easy, but it's been very exciting. And we're looking forward to the, to the last mile or the final uh, mile as we tick the final build boxes. Yeah, and that sounds really great. And I think, you know, you've had some progress so far. So congrats on that. I I'm curious, what kind of data is collected on the CoronaNet blockchain marketplace? You know, our priority data sets or data points or our priority touch points is first and foremost the who. I've mentioned earlier on, uh, just for the courtesy reminder to the audiences, that up to 100 uh, hands can interact with, uh, with a single bundle of hair from source up to the shelf or source up to the head of a, of a consumer or a woman. So the who... The who touches that hair at what touch point, whether it's, it's uh, the India temples, whether it's the India auctions where the temple hair is now being auctioned off, whether it's the, it's the beginning miles of the transit point, whether it's, the, it's the, uh, through the customs and borders, whether it's now being funneled into China or into Europe, those are the major uh, manufacturing hub capacity. Whether it's now being, uh, what do you call it, it's, it's evolving through the 16 to 20 steps inside the factory that actually make up the processing mechanisms, including applying the dyes, applying the hygienic processes, aligning the cuticles, and just kind of like uh, uh, pre-packaging and, and, and final packaging the hair and all the barcoding and all those. So there's quite a number of moving paths. The transit, the, the transit points bring other elements of the who and as it makes its way now to through africa customs whether it is being sourced by the africa salon who spends forty thousand uh, us dollars out there or is being brought in by other means or mechanisms air freight air freight uh, is responsible for more than 90 percent of the human hair as a high value uh, as a high value material it follows the same route as cell phones uh, basically smartphones and the how so there's the who and now the how. 
What was the involvement? Was there an inflationary point of too many middlemen? Or was there just a, a healthy balance of middlemen? Were there certain factory processes that were actually promised on the, on the what do you call it, on the compliance mechanism, but they were not actually adhered to, or they were adhered to? So all that, that data point of, of the how and the who, it now lends itself into provenance and it lends itself into track and trace mechanisms so that we've got a line of sight on behalf of the end user consumer and all the participants uh, on the on the supply chain or the blockchain grid so the who and the how and under what circumstances was this uh was this hair one harvested were there any human rights violation tempered with was anyone coerced so there's a whole lot of data points that actually encompass the human rights equation that encompass where, where I mean, in India, for one, where, where any early stage, early stage uh, pre-manufacturers pushed out of the room uh, by the giant manufacturer at the auction point was the auction ethical. So there's just a whole lot of other moving parts that at full deployment, not at MVP or at POC, but at full deployment, we're going to really uh, 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 administer that moving target through the scalable blockchain. And of course, the transactions that now happened uh, throughout the flow or the funnel have to, I mean, wh uh, uh, what was the original fund and, and how were they deployed into, uh, um, how were they funneled into the, into the grid itself and who paid who and was there any inflationary elements? So enforcing those kind of moving parts and ensuring that even beyond the sale, there's other data points that we'll look at. Was this week brought back into the salon uh, framework and was it uh, was it uh, did it adhere to the standards that we set so that there's a whole lot of uh, data sets that we're going to focus on that will lend us into a africa facing market ready and into the us facing market readiness that we can scale and lock down both markets which account for 70% of the global framework which is why i'm i'm excited to announce that currently we are actually in in, in funding engagements that are gearing towards a, a go-to-market scaling. Having finalized two funding tranches with IBM, we are now looking to deploy and really begin taking care of all these data sets and data points like yesterday. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. In January of 2021, AstraZeneca in Estonia partnered with data security and blockchain firm GuardTime to participate in their Vaccine Guard pilot. Iceland, Hungary, and Estonia are the first countries to sign up to the new platform supporting the global COVID-19 vaccination program. According to Ein Aviksu, chief medical officer of GuardTime, quote, Vaccine Guard will provide proof of critical data accuracy from verifying the vaccine against authentic vaccine data repositories managing and monitoring compliance with national and local mandates on distribution and administration to priority groups for inoculation to patient verification and eligibility and real-time updates to health authorities giving them better insight into the vaccination program progress and success unquote vaccination passports and the idea of immunity passports are hot topics as people try to get back to normal life this is one of many types of digital health technologies being used
to facilitate the global rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines. While this is a great step forward for the world, there are still many questions about the effectiveness of the vaccines against new coronavirus variants. Tune into my next episode of Health Unchained, where we do a deep dive into this specific pilot project with guest Ayn Aviksu, Chief Medical Officer of Gartime, as my guest. You can find a link to this news article in the show notes. And now back to the episode with Shadrach Kubiani, co-founder of Coronet Blockchain. I wonder, are you, is part of your strategy to actually increase the localized marketplace? And so instead of having so many middlemen, are you trying to reduce the supply chain to make it shorter so that the origin of human hair is closer to the end consumer? So you're creating like a sort of like a maybe even a C to C kind of development where a person can donate their hair directly to a consumer or maybe there'll be one or two middlemen instead of four or ten that is correct enabling that uh unlocking other trade platforms or trade avenue for intra intra trade or intra exchange the middlemen are definitely some of the friction points across the hair supply chain so being able to not necessarily chase the middlemen but allow every and every single middleman that leans forward to either touch the hair or transact with the hair to basically justify their presence mm. in that part of the value chain instead of uh, what do you call it uh, jobs for pals or instead of goods for pals and a whole lot of inflation that disadvantage the african uh, salon sector and 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 put them on the back footing and yes uh, if maybe someone has got a weak collection of 10 pieces or 10 crowns and they wanna donate it to uh, or donate some of their sets either for charity or to some, uh, 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 what do you call it? Some oncology patients that are going through maybe treatment and they maybe they can't afford a, a crown for themselves. So uh, enabling those uh, provenance backed track and traceable kind of hair uh, donations and of course if somebody's on has fallen on hard time and they want to maybe sell or avail their their units weak units on our platform to others in the ecosystem we we're going to look at uh, building those capabilities as we scale thanks for that so i wouldn't be doing my role here correctly if i didn't ask you this question do you really need to use a blockchain for your marketplace and why you know the quality issues that exist, not just in hair, but in other market segments, we have two roads to pursue. We can, actually three. We can go the paper route where we dispatch countless of, uh, in, uh, of inspectors that can actually cover the globe and also cover the 500,000 500, hair salons that are based uh, here on, on the African continent that rely on hair for 80% of their revenue, at least. So we can we can dispatch the, like maybe the, 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 the previous century route where pen and paper, the inspectors go out there. That can be very, very, uh, 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 what do you call it? That can be very labor intense on the one hand, or we can catch up with the current smart procurement layers that already exist where through APIs and through other mechanisms for integration and collaborative deployments, we can focus on adding a blockchain layer onto existing stack where there is framework 
and of course augment with the input of our own uh, build systems where the framework has got some form of a deficit or something. So that is the route where blockchain as a temper-proof provenance uh, a mechanism for track and trace that really enables a community to actually lean forward and ensure accountability across all the key touch points and all the all the requisite supply chain participants. So it, we saw blockchain as a collaborative community building and community sustaining and community values upholding. You know, the, 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 there wasn't any match in terms of using the traditional supply chain mechanisms that are mainly centralized and they are siloed, which now creates quality issues across the global trade. There are way too many moving parts, even from a shipping perspective, uh, when trade lands, which is the other uh, blockchain uh, framework that is built by IBM, when trade lands had to do an experiment from Africa to Europe, they found that uh, across only two ports, there are more than 300 separate paperwork, uh, I, I mean, uh, paperwork signatures and notes between only two ports, only two ports. So when you look at blockchain now uh, in a singular fashion, uh, creating a single ledger, a single decentralized ledger where all permission participants are welcome to now interact with portions of the ledger that they are permissioned into, like pulling out various drawers. Uh, blockchain proved to be resilient, relevant, and most cost-effective, especially in the in, in, in a sense of lowering the trade barriers, and of course, augmenting the, the, the shortfalls of a trust deficit that the banks had towards this uh, fragmented sector. So the decentralization was a key point. What kind of traction have you had so far? Uh, traction has been incredible. Uh, thank you so much. With us having a front foot or a front row position on understanding Africa markets, that really added to our traction and that added to our market readiness that was built in, uh, uh, that was purpose built in our vision, which by the way has gone through so uh, uh, quite a number of uh, iterations in, I mean, in terms of adjusting it even uh, within a COVID or a post-COVID war room uh, readiness. So yes, we, we had a front row or a front foot position with our market hands-on Africa markets experience, that's one. Number two, having the, the advantageous legacy framework input from uh, the big brother brand like IBM was very advantageous in that regard. And of course, COVID uh, kind of like threw a spanner in the works because there was one of the experts that, uh, that uh, made a comment in 2020 that not just for coronet, but globally, COVID, uh, as it kind of like shook the tree across the world, it by default moved 2030, folded 2030 into 2020. So you can imagine the kind of rethink and review that we had to do for our, for our, our, our three-year horizon. We've had to now go back to the drawing boards and kind of like fast track some of the, the processes, which is why instead of uh, raising our CB capital, maybe end of uh, October, we already kicked off that CB funding process about a week ago. So those are some of the challenges whereby we had to scale and scale fast. 
So we didn't see that coming, you know. And but positively, the salon sector, like others, are a lot more open to digitization now. They're a lot more open to blockchain. On a traction side, we get at least three to five inquiries from salons every week. And about a week or two ago, we received a, a Google notification that in terms of Africa hair supply chain searches, uh, excuse me, we dominate the first, second, and third page of Google. And of course, the first entries on the Google page, we, we, we already dominate that space. That shows you what we have achieved as a result of our readjustments with COVID, where we had to really, uh, uh, what do you call it? We, we had to uh, look at agility being a priority rather than going to market in two or three years. Yeah, and I know that every state, every country, every region, every continent in this world has a different uh, approach or consumers react to different marketing approaches differently. So I'm wondering for you in Africa now when you're working on, you know, sharing yes. about so, Corona Net blockchain, what are some of your growth marketing strategies that you're trying to deploy? So I'm thinking maybe you have some digital growth strategies. You mentioned Google. Um, are there any specific things that you're doing now or is it still kind of too early or what are you thinking there? There are three things. Uh, firstly, thank you for the, for the question. There are three things that I want to uh, uh, discuss for the benefit of the, the audiences. The first thing that comes to mind is that on the first mental free trade agreement went live, which uh, from a policy perspective, prioritized the harmony and the intra-trade uh, uh, across uh, the, the 53 states that have or, or that, that are already on board with the agreement. So that's the one thing that at a macro level is going well for Coronet, that, that across the continent of Africa, inter, intercontinental trade is, is getting a nod on various levels, on various touch points, that by default through policy is paving the runaway for our takeoff, even as our, our takeoff is aptly timed, uh, happening weeks, I mean, I mean, happening uh, maybe a, a month or two after the, 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 the agreement went live, uh, turning Africa into the largest trade block in the world, a uh, free trade block, that is. So that's the one thing, and on a macro or policy level. On an operational level, you know, by June last year, by June 2020, we had already secured all the priority uh, core supply chain participants that are required for our POC and, and of course, a POC MVP hybrid. We have already secured those uh, participants across the global framework, beginning uh, at, at a very strategic level of the India temples, right into the manufacturing hubs, right into transit points and right into the salons that are really critical uh, mass participants and right into the stylists that also purchase the hair in order to assemble it into wigs, uh, custom making, and of course, select consumer ecosystems that we have. So we've done that like in June last year, we were very, very market aggressive uh, as a result of our, our muscle memory on business development, deal making and those kind of things. Uh, so that's a that's the second thing. The third one, from a from a traction perspective, just like uh, the hand that I'm raising uh, for the benefit of those that are listening, just like my my right hand that I'm raising, all my fingers are not the same height. 
So Africa has unfortunately been, been misconceived or misunderstood to be a single market. We may be, as a continent, the largest trade uh, free trade block in the world, but that does not mean that we are a single country. Uh, we have our own teething challenges from a cultural, regional, and country dynamic that our strategy has had to be adapted at an operational digital facing sign up or digital facing traction even though you are bringing a digital solution don't on covid compliant can can i sign up so yes uh the, 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 there are 54 different markets in africa and some of those markets they're fragmented even into more i mean if you look at nigeria is divided into various states and is, is divide, divided into various regions if you look at south africa so there's all those uh, uh, uh what you call it regional grassroots dynamics and regional uh, macro miso and micro dynamics that our our our, our visionary uh, objectives from a rollout had to be adapted and be and be made intuitively sensitive to those on the ground terrain realities. Right, and there was a little bit of um, static there on the connection, but I got what you said. You're saying that Africa shouldn't be looked at as one giant uh, market. It's actually many different subsets of many different other markets and regions, and we have to, you know, treat them, you know, individually as as they are and and adapt to. You know their needs and wants and desires there so i agree um but you're the expert so <laughs> but that makes sense to me so what is your roadmap for 2021 and beyond absolutely absolutely you know if you look at the our our post our post live or our post uh switch on deployment we are looking at an 18 18 month horizon of final uh, finalization of 20 global manufacturers of 2,000 salons, 4,000 stylists, and of course, across that same 18-month uh, horizon, ensuring that the, the onboarding of uh, 100,000 consumers on our platform out of the 24 million on the continent. And of course, in that same time frame of 18 months, we are looking at prioritization of funneling through 1 million uh, uh, hair bundles or hair units through our through our platform in order to 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 meet those priority objectives to give us that single traction tweak all the moving parts and ensure that we now look at the bigger wider pool of 24 million consumers 500,000 uh, 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 500,000 salons 2 million stylists down the line but the, the first 18 months first mile that's what we're looking at from a from a, a drone perspective got it thank you for that so I have a couple personal questions, and I think uh, we can wrap up. And uh, really appreciate your time, by the way. If it's not too personal, what would you consider to be your biggest mistake? If I uh, th thank you so much for the question. If I look at my last one and a half decade plus uh, being in the marketplace, I wish I discovered much sooner what I began. Uh, uh, realizing with, with crystal clarity about half a decade ago, which is despite being uh, advantageously multi-talented or with uh, multi-skill sets 
that I possess across strategy, across business development, deal making, uh, public relations, speaking, and all those, and also the ability to adapt quickly to new markets, despite having that in my basket of, of, of advantages, I wish that what I'm, what I'm experiencing now, I knew it maybe even sooner than half a decade ago, which is the discipline benefits that come with cherry picking a single vision priority to speak into it, to speak around it, to work only around it as a core and just be known for it and just eat, breathe, breakfast, lunch, dinner around that core priority. Because even now, if you were to ask me, what am I doing at any given moment? It's supply chain, blockchain, Africa continental free trade. And of course, bringing inclusivity around that. So I eat, breathe, speak, and sleep and dream blockchain. That's it. Had I done that maybe uh, a decade earlier, I, I shudder to think, even if it wasn't blockchain, but had I, with a, with a, with a savage level discipline, had I cherry-picked that single focus, single vertical, I think uh, my 10 xing personally, and for the companies that I'm part of, might have happened sooner. So juggling a bit too many balls might look like a strength, but uh, down the road, it tends to catch up with you if you don't pick a single vertical and have a bias towards it. But I'm, I'm glad that now I have become a go-to on the continent uh, in terms of being uh, among, if not the leading blockchain voice uh, with use cases well outside here. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you that one of the major problems a lot of people face is trying to do too many things at the same time. So having that initial focus and laser vision uh, is extremely important for seeing success and, and great success. So that's a great um, answer. Thank you. What is your favorite book that most influenced your universe? So there is a book that is written by Andre Olivia that is called Finding a Way to Win. It was written some time back, about almost half a decade now. But that book has become like top on my shelf I've, I've, I've now read it multiple times, particularly with the, with the unique COVID uh, landscape that we've had to navigate, where resilience personally and in a business context is no longer negotiable. So Finding a Way to Win by uh, Andre Olivia has proved to be a book in season, along with other books that I have on my shelf in tech and in, in, and in other uh, spaces. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, well, Shadrach, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I've learned so much about this industry I didn't know about before. So thank you for sharing it with me and you know my listeners. Um, I think it's really cool that it does tie into the healthcare world a little bit. And I think that's important to make that connection. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, we have blockchain changing many industries and many markets all over the world. It's not just healthcare. Um, and you're focusing in the African market on many of these different types of um, new trade functions so thank you thank you so much for doing it and all your work um do you have any final words of wisdom for the audience or anything you'd like to share uh, thank you so much i'm only going to share two things the first one is that whilst our vertical for the foreseeable horizon uh, remains here as the initial uh, uh box to tick we've already been approached by uh, prestigious institutions and and funding calls for grants 
we've been approached to now adapt our track and trace solution for blockchain into the other verticals with the first one being agriculture for traceability to ensure food security so that's another one so there are other verticals that are now being added onto our request list so this one is just putting it out there the second one is the benefit for the audiences perhaps i'm hoping it will not take a decade for the audiences to figure out what they are not star or their true north ought to be i'm hoping whether they're in healthcare whether they're in technology or whether they're in the hybrid of both worlds i'm hoping that by the by, by, by the time 2021 rolls forward their their true north will either be discovered or be revisited much much appreciated thank you so much for having me hey all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.